Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Uh, returning for the second time on this podcast, he is the uh, the director of the Libertarian Institute. He's the editorial director of Antiwar.com, the host of the Scott Horton Show. Fool's errand. Uh, enough already. Name all your books. Rattle them off, Scott. Rattle them off. The Great Ron Paul. Great Ron Paul. Anything else? I know you got more. Well, I got a brand new one coming out. That's a collection Ooh. of interviews that I've done over the years about nuclear weapons. And I've got another one that I'm working on right now that's going to be the essentially that speech, that two-hour-long speech I gave about the background of the Russia-Ukraine thing. Yeah. It's already twice as long as that now, and we're working on turning that into a book. Good. Very. Who's going to write your uh, your bibliography? Or what is I'm it? sorry? Autobi- I was coughing. Autobiography. I said, I said, who's going to write your autobiography or biography? Oh. Nah, nobody wants to read about me. No, they do. They do. If anything, they want to read about that Bill Crystal debate. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Man, he. I, I, let me tell. Uh, before we even get into it, can we just? Can you discuss what was he like afterward? Because he seemed, in my opinion, very, very unprepared. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end, he was mad. He was. So I did. You know, I debated a neocon named Harvey Kushner at 2008 at um, Texas A&M. And I thrashed the hell out of him, too. And he was a lesser Bill Crystal, although Bill Crystal was a lesser Bill Crystal, too, wasn't he? But Harvey Kushner refused to shake my hand in 08. And that's like the only other real debate I've ever been in. And so with Crystal, I kind of made sure to just shove my hand at him in a way that he had to shake it. And I lost the picture. Now, I wish I had saved. I guess I only saw it on my phone and I was going to like save it later on my computer, but I never saw it again. But somebody got the still shot of him looking down and to the left while he's shaking my hand, you know, refusing to look me in the eye. Dude, when, then you, when you... I told this story... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, when you uh, had, had brought up uh, basically us pushing the uh, uh, 9-11 hijackers kind of, you know, what we did to, to make them angry at us. And Bill Crystal was like, well, the fact that you would even insinuate that we had anything to do with this completely unprovoked attack. And you're like, well, I guess you don't know about Operation, uh, what was it, Grapes of Wrath, I believe. And uh, and he was like, well, that had nothing to do with it. And then you went, I swear to God, this is what this is what Scott Horton said to Bill Crystal on the stage. You went, well, I guess you don't know anything about it then. And I saw, and I was like, in that moment, I was like, oh, Oh, to feel that energy, that awkwardness in the room. Love it. I fucking love it. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Well, good. Um, Listen, I have, I hope you had a good hey, time. Hey, you know you what? Won. I remember it out of my own eyes, so it's even better. That's true. Um, yeah, no, listen, uh, it was good. Listen, if you want to see, uh, you know, if you go to the, um, the Tom Woods 2000th episode thing, I did like a little stand-up comedy bit. Not that it was very funny, but at the end, or no, I guess at the beginning, I talked about Bill Crystal, and at the end of the debate, I asked him, hey, will you answer my question? And he goes, sure, but he keeps walking away down the stairs and out toward the audience. Yeah. So I'm like, wait a second. And he goes, oh, oh, I know. I had got a plane to catch, and I don't think I owe you one more minute of my time. When? And he ran out the front. So let me ask you something. I do, I'm very, I'm genuinely curious about it. In person, is Bill Crystal fat? I can't, I can't tell. Yeah, he's kind of fat. Yeah. Right? He seems oddly shaped to me. 
every time I've ever yeah, I wouldn't seen say him, like he's very wide, but he's kind of got a big belly sort of a guy, you know, I guess. Yeah, just soft. Yeah. He, he seems soft, like everywhere yeah. on him seems very soft. It seems he seems very physically moldable, like clay, like wet clay. You know, um, look, I I think that it's kind of it's um, cliche, isn't it, about the neocons that, they're, that they can't they're do one push up between oh, yeah. the 75 of them. You know, that these guys are essentially, you know, sort of a bunch of big, fat, soft-handed nerds yeah. who, you know, they're sort of like, there's two kinds of high school kids that become cops, the guys who are like real bullies and guys who are real nerds. Yeah. And they grow up to become cops, bullies, because that's their natural course in life, and the nerds, because that's how they want to try to get their revenge on the bullies that don't become cops is by becoming a cop and then getting their revenge on the rest of society that way kind of thing. Well, that's True. who the neocons are, right? They're the big fat dork from your high school who had to wear his backpack with all of his books in it between classes because if he stopped at his locker, he was going to get, you know, taken to the bathroom and given a swirly. You, you know, do like, that that's or who they Richard going to Pearl tech. is. That's who all these guys are, is, you know, they're big fat dorks. And so, yes, and, and I think that's a huge part of, you know, what underlies their philosophy of violence, that they are essentially, you know, frustrated, uh, girl-less dorks. Like, I'm yeah. sure they ended up, you know, uh, marrying each other's sisters and stuff and made enough money they could, you know, eventually find mates or whatever. They're essentially, you know, yeah, a bunch of dorks. And I think that is a, yeah, I think that absolutely is the case with Crystal. In fact, in that debate, he even starts with, yeah, geez, I used to go and try to play pool at the pool hall near here to sort of see what real human beings were like in, in the wild and to yeah. observe them and to try to fit in with them, which never quite worked. I'm paraphrasing, but that was pretty much what he was saying. Yeah. He would go out among the people of the Upper West Side, which as far as I know, that's like a pretty kind of yuppie side of town anyway, right? It and he's, so he's going out among the yuppies to, to, in his mind, go out among the downtrodden proles as like, you know, like he's going on safari. And that's how disconnected this guy is from regular people at all. You know, I, even could, I could have seen white people, Bill you know? Crystal stomping on small animals as a child. That's the impression that I get. You know, and my favorite thing too is I, he, I, a lot of these uh, neocons, I keep seeing them uh, tweet about how we've lowered standards for women in the military physically. It's like, you couldn't do the women... The, the, the litmus test for women in the military, why do you give a fuck? Who cares? Like, they, they're like, yes, well, yes. we're lowering the standards for it. It's like, you can't do one pull-up. They're asking the women to do, like, five pull-ups. You can't do one. You can't get an erection. Why do you care? Shut up. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Stop. I tell you what, if you're concerned with how well our military can fight, stop sending us to war. If you're worried about it, don't get us into don't get us into any more wars. Listen, Scott. You know what? Consistency has never been one of the neocons hobgoblins. You're right. You know? They might have small minds, but that's never been their problem. Yeah. Well, listen, when I first when I scheduled our podcast today, it was in early March, and I was hoping at least by that time there would have been like a ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine or, or something some progress but just nothing just a whole lot of nothing toward peace between those two countries um you know there's good news today what's the good they, news they had, 
Yeah, they had a big meeting in Turkey, and they're still not done on final status uh, agreements or anything like that. But they made real progress on essentially, you know, uh, neutrality and uh, disarmament of Ukraine. They still got to work on whether they're going to recognize Russian sovereignty over Crimea and the so-called independence of the Donbass under Russian protection there. Um, so it's not done. But then, you know, the Russians have also backed off of their goals. Um, you know, seeing I saw that. that's moving the American from, frame of it. Yeah. I mean, it depends on who he has. And the American side of the what of the war here has been so propagandistic. I mean, if the Russians had wanted to send in their heavy bombers and pulverize the place, they could have done that. And they did not do that. The Americans just take whatever the Russians don't do as their absolute failure to do so. And I'm not a military, you know, strategist type. But I did read a thread um, explaining, you know, that their tactics and strategy and all this was they were never trying to sack Kiev. They wanted to bomb Kiev off the face of the earth. They could have done that. Really, all they were doing was tying up Ukrainian forces everywhere else while they took Mariupol so that they created now, as he calls it, uh, the land bridge between Russia and Crimea. And so they're essentially creating a greater Donbass region there in the Far East. It was never clear at the end of November, or pardon me, the end of February when Putin launched this invasion. How far does he mean to go? Is he going to try to conquer all the land east of the Dnieper River? Is he just going to create an extended um, Donbass region? Now, the part of the Donbass that was already independent from Kiev was short of the real Donbass region. It was just the area that the separatists had been able to keep the Kiev government out of. So is he going to expand, you know, all the way to uh, um, a greater Donbass, you know, a greater Donetsk and Luhansk? Uh, and it seems like the answer to that is yes. If as long as he's taking the Donbass, he's taking every bit of it and, and all the way, and including the city of Mariupol as well, and all of this. Now, um, what's he willing to give back up in negotiation? Um, it remains to be seen, I think. A lot of the propaganda about the failures of the Russian invasion are probably fairly overblown. Um, for example, it doesn't seem like they ever made an effort to invade the far west of the country, on the west of the Dnieper River. They just launched missile strikes in there to let it be known they can reach out and touch you that far west if they want to. Um, they took out, you know, the foreign legion that came to volunteer there um, back a couple of weeks ago. And That's what of, I was going to ask you. I, I mean, because... Every like everywhere you turned for, from American media, they were like Russia's. They're having trouble. They're losing. And then I remember somebody was like, "They, someone, I, I, I forget who it was. It might have. I think it was on the internet. I saw it. They were like, I, Russia is now rethinking if they have the manpower to outlast Ukraine in this war.'" And I was like, "What? What?" Are you insane? I mean, you can't accept anybody's framing of the thing, and you can't accept the the Russians' framing of it either. That's and the reality true. is it's it's tough because um, you're dealing with two sides that are just only pushing a completely skewed narrative, and it's it's tough tr trying to find the accurate, yeah. you know, in real time. It's really tough to do. Yeah, I mean, I think you know those battle maps are generally accurate, but I don't swear by them, and I don't follow the updates on an hour to hour basis and all this. And, you know, when footage comes out saying it's this group doing this to this group and whatever, I try to refrain from, um, you know, I did actually tweet out something about a week ago 
but then I deleted because I thought, you know, I really don't know who it is in this footage. Sure looks like Nazis, but for all I know, it's Russians wearing Azov battalion patches just, you know, for video. I'm not accusing them of that, but I'm saying I really don't know. So I tend to dismiss a lot of that. And there are people who pay very close attention to which divisions are where and all these kinds of things. But, you know, um, a, a lot of it is all just kind of unproven premises. Like I was just watching on Fox and a so-called expert claiming, you know, how badly beaten the Russians are and how they're having to scale back from their extended goals. But who says what their extended goals were? Putin never said, I'm definitely taking Kiev and I might just take the far west of the country too. He made an argument that essentially could have justified taking all of Ukraine in war, uh, rhetorically speaking. But he never said that that was what he was doing. And I don't think the experts ever really thought that that was what he was doing. So then the question was, is he going to take all of the east or just the Donbass? And it looks like actually just the Donbass. And they, you know, sent this giant convoy toward Kiev. But again, they could have just carpet bombed the damn place if that was really their goal. The locals were not going to give up Kiev. They were going to fight for it. So if they want to turn the thing into Grozny, they could have done that. And, you know, that convoy, it ground itself to a halt. They could have kept going and moved on the city. And um, so, you know, who knows? I don't really know exactly what's going on there. And I do know, um, I guess it should be stipulated, that the uh, Trump and then Biden administrations have, have poured tons of weapons into Ukraine, including sophisticated Javelin anti-tank missiles, which are, you know, a step above the tow missiles that they gave the terrorists in Syria, for example, in that dirty war. So, um, and they've, they've gotten advanced training from the Rangers and from the CIA, um, you know, yes. covert uh, uh, special activities division guys are training them in all kinds of sabotage and snipers and all kinds of this stuff. It's been going on for what, eight years now? Since the really late, the start of the late, war on the Donbass in 2014. Yeah, I was gonna say so, 2014. Yeah. yeah, and they got home field advantage, don't they, the Ukrainians? Um, and the visiting team, the pressure's on them. And so I think, you know, again, I don't put a lot of, I agree with you, I don't put a lot of stock in the reports that, oh, the Russians are just losing this badly and all that kind of thing. Um, well, and also historically, but, like when Russia gets involved in a war, I mean, they they're they're not a short term party. You know, they seem yeah. to they seem to, you know, stay in. They seem to commit when they go in. They seem to be in, you know. Well, look, and a lot of the narrative about how bad they're doing is obviously bogus. I mean, the, the U.S. is claiming they have between 7000 and 15000 Russians killed. Well, that's just nothing but a hoax. I mean, give yeah. me a break. Show me where they had entire divisions wiped out. Mm. Can't show me that because that never happened. You know, America lost 7,000 men in Iraq and Afghanistan over, you know, a decade-long Iraq War II and a two-decade-long war in Afghanistan combined with 7,000 men. Now, obviously, that's not the same as fighting a sort of second-world-type military like Ukraine, but... The idea that they had even lost 7,000, much less 15,000 men in the last little while is clearly just a hoax. And the Russians claim that it was like, what, 1,800 or something like that. Yeah. So maybe it's 3,000 or something. I don't well, even know. The That's the, rounding up even. The logistics um, don't even line up. estimating against them, you know. The logistics don't line up. I mean, it's just 
for what the Ukrainian military, their resources and their capabilities. Now, uh, granted, they they have gotten a lot of help from us and and clearly and from they NATO. have. But um, it's, you know, if you still look at it, it's tough to believe that Ukraine, no matter how much help they got, has the capability to pull off killing 13,000 or 15,000 Russians. So, dude, I swear to God, I, I saw a tweet that had like thousands and thousands of favorites. It said that there was, it was claiming that there was like like uh, 30 some thousand Russian soldiers. And I was like, what? What are you talking? And, and this is the thing. This is the problem. If you, you know, watch the mainstream media, the mainstream media won't necessarily say that 30,000 Russian soldiers are dead. They, they're not going to say that because they know better. They know better than that. But they certainly are going to, you know, push a narrative that implies that a number around there might be plausible. You know what I mean? They really, it's, it, and it's bizarre that, you know, they're, 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 I mean, listen, the media loves war. The last time that we spoke, uh, we were talking about Afghanistan, the pullout of Afghanistan, and that was, uh, you know, it, how long ago was that? Because that was the last, that was literally the last that time you were on my show. The end of August, beginning of September. Yeah, so that was the last time you were on my show, and now we're talking about a new fucking, I mean, uh, the media. Well, look, on the, on the point here, the thing is, the Ukrainians are dealing right now. Yeah. They're in Turkey negotiating that okay fine we'll never join nato you know yeah well they could have done that five weeks ago and avoided this war altogether they could have signed a new treaty on putin's terms which is what they're doing they got russian soldiers it's not like ukraine is invading russia you know pushing the russians out and then moving into russian territory here the russians are clearly in the position of strength yeah. and not that you not that the ukrainians are outright surrendering but they're moving that way. Yeah. And um, again, I don't think anyone other than on cable TV news would argue that the Russians are going full force with everything they've got. You're here. on I mean, cable TV news and you argue it. Don't don't show well, maybe. Yourself, don't but I'm just saying, short. I mean, the, the implication is that the Russians are trying their very best to deliver as much destruction as they possibly can and that this is the best they can do. But I think that that's stupid. I think that people should not just assume so much in their premise about the way that they analyze this thing. They could have launched a massive shock and awe campaign. Look at when Bush Sr. and Bush Jr. invaded Iraq. You know, Bush Sr. bombed Iraq for, what, three weeks, four weeks before he sent in, well, three weeks, before he sent in the ground forces. Um, w. Bush sent in the ground forces, but he sent in a massive air war ahead of them at the same time. Yeah, it obviously moved a lot faster than they, and they didn't go for the absolute full shock and awe campaign, but they went for about half of it, which was still absolutely decimated Iraqi army positions on the ground before the third infantry division of the Marines even got there. Right. Putin didn't do that for obviously for public relations reasons. Um, you know, it's reported. I don't know certainly how true this is. I think a lot of the reporting about the decision-making inside Russia that we get in the United States can be taken with a grain of salt. But, you know, some reports that seem credible to me are that his Air Force generals told him, we're going to go in there, we're going to blast the hell out of the Ukrainian army in the east of the country, and that he told them no. He thought that essentially that would look too damn bad on TV. Too many people would be killed, too much collateral damage probably to come with that big of an assault, and that he hoped 
probably in a foolish Dick Cheneyite kind of a way, that they'll greet us with flowers and candy and welcome us as liberators and be so glad we're here. And certainly at least we want to see if we can get them to welcome us in and absolutely bombarding the living hell out of the east of the country is not a good way to do that. So evidently- Or, they or empowering the, the people that are doing that so They would just anyway. send in low amount, you know, small amounts of armor here and there to see how far they could get and test the responses and all these kinds of things. So, I mean, my argument is not that that's wonderful and pleasant or this and that, but it's just the idea that they're getting their asses handed to them. You have to accept the premise that they're trying the best to achieve, you know, substantial goals here. When it's, again, it's never been clear that they mean to even take the entire east of the country, or even if they did, and to hold it indefinitely, the way that they clearly are sort of pseudo-absorbing the Donbass now. Yeah. Um, you know, as they had refused to do before. So anyway, I'm not just spinning for them. I'm, you know, clearly they've had their troubles. Um, but, well, if um, I if I had to guess, I don't think you know I don't think P Putin would push to to the Polish border. I don't my this is just my bet, and I'm mentally retarded, so don't take you know take my words with a grain of salt here. I don't think Putin would want a war with NATO. I don't think he would. Nah, look, I, I mean, mean that's not what's issue. America's not going to war for Ukraine, and that much you can believe. Biden well, but this is, but this is, well, this I mean, seems to be change, the narrative. That's been the policy with with is, neocons. This is their talking point where you say if you let them have this, then they're going to take this. I don't think they're going to take this. This is not if you yeah. give a mouse a cookie. I don't think this is that situation. I think you know? that's right. Look, I mean, this is what uh, I think Justin Logan first, and then Justin Romano called the fallacy of thirty nine that every American opponent is Hitler and anything we can do to negotiate them is Neville with them is Neville Chamberlain appeasing Hitler at Munich and, and, you know, being promised he won't invade Czechoslovakia and all this. Well, that's just stupid, right? I mean, the reason that Hitler is such an important figure in history, because he was because right. Because of what a no, unique and important character he was, right? Um, yeah. in, in, in his degree of fanaticism, and commitment to the program that he was determined to carry out at that time. But you just can't compare Saddam Hussein to that, or Milosevic or Noriega or Assad or Gaddafi or, or the Ayatollah Khamenei. I mean, these people, they just don't measure up to that. They just, you know, and the same thing for Putin here. So, you know, people even would recognize that Germany had real interests in Czechoslovakia um, and maybe getting part of Germany back, right? Then he took the whole thing and, of course, you know, did it with force. Um, and, and then the entire history of the Second World War after that goes to show, of course, just how bad the Nazi regime could be at war and all of those things. Um, but in the circumstance, what's the other alternative? America should have invaded Central Europe in the year 1933, as soon as Roosevelt and Hitler came to power, we should have just invade, you know, sent all our troops to France and launched a preemptive attack against the Nazis. And that doesn't make any sense. And, um, and again, you know, just think, it wasn't just, you know, the uniqueness of Hitler's character and the cult of the Nazi party, but they were sitting on top of what very quickly became once they got out from under their, you know, inflation, you know, hyperinflationary money system and all of that. Um, the most powerful 
uh, industrial economy on the planet, the most powerful armed military machine on the planet. Far out, I mean, the British Navy was one thing, but in terms of land forces, the Germans had the whole world beat at that time. So having a guy like Hitler ruling a cult like the Nazis in charge of an economy and a military like the Germans, boy, yeah, we've got a real problem, right? This yeah. is not that. This is not that. You know, uh, Putin is essentially Hindenburg, not Hitler. And we should be dealing with him and treating him with, you know, just the respect that he's due, not more than that. But all this hyperbolic stuff about how he's just Hitler wants to reconquer and cre recreate the old Soviet Union and all of these things is crazy. And people who, who say that, yeah, but he does have this ideology where he would like, you know, um, his, his um, favorite philosopher, supposedly this guy, Alexander Dugan, has sort of written Putin's Mein Kampf in the sense of like, boy, if I had my way, we would reintegrate all the Russian-speaking peoples who were left behind in the satellite states when the Soviet Union fell apart. Okay, so maybe he feels that way, but there's never been reason. There's no argument in any real way whatsoever to invade Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia to protect the Russian minorities there. And Putin has grumbled about their mistreatment in, in being treated as second-class citizens in some ways. He's never threatened violence over it because they are not treated that badly, the Russian minorities in those countries. The idea of war over it just has never come up. It just hasn't. In Ukraine, people refuse to recognize this, but it's just true. And tough if they're dem damn Democrats and don't like it, but it is true. Russia didn't seize the Crimean Peninsula, except in reaction to Obama overthrowing the government in Kiev. For the second time in 10 years, Bush did it in 04, and Obama did it again in 14. And the new government immediately threatened to kick the Russians out of the Sevastopol naval base. And Putin said, no, forget you. We're staying in Sevastopol, where the Russians have controlled that naval base, or they at least have controlled I don't know when they established the base, but they took the Crimean Peninsula from the Turks in 1783, the same year that Ben Franklin and John Adams and John Jay were signing the Treaty of Paris to end the Revolutionary War with Britain, and four years before our Constitution was even ratified, right? Um, so they said, no, we're not losing our only year-round warm water port to you, sorry. And Putin later joked, he goes, listen, we're not against NATO. That's just not true. They're our partners and we like them and we work together on all kinds of things all the time. It's just that we thought about it and we thought, well, geez, wouldn't that be awkward if the NATO sailors came to visit us at the Sevastopol Naval Base? And we thought, no, you know what? You guys are a bunch of great guys, but we'll keep the base. You come and visit us. Yeah. Right? So in we'll other words, you. yeah, we don't want to fight with you, but we're just insisting that, yeah, no, this belongs to us. And let me tell you a little fact. A factoid, as CNN might put it. What is it? Can you, before you even do that, can you define, what is the difference between a fact and a factoid? Is a factoid a portion a of a fact? A factoid is smaller and, and less important, I guess, right? Um, I'm sure, you know, in other words, CNN would play this down. Seems relevant to me. So, you know how the New Yorkers are really jealous of West Point and you better not try to take it from them or else they'll try to kill you? Um, and Is that a thing? You know, it's a, Benedict Arnold tried to give it up to the British. An American patriot stopped him, and it's been our 
uh, our school where we train our army officers for more than 200 years now. And if some invading force, if the British teamed up with the Canadians to try to take West Point from us, we would fight. Yeah. And that's it. Same thing for, say, for example, San Antonio and the home of the Alamo, where the Texicans fought the war against the Mexicans and lost Texicans. in their bloody sacrifice in the War of Texas Independence, right? Yep. Well, let me tell you, if anyone ever tried to take San Antonio from the Texicans, and I could even put it this way, from the Anglos, even if we eventually become a majority Hispanic state, if they try to like take South Texas and join Mexico, are you in Texas? And take that land away. There will be a war and people will die in huge numbers if it ever came to that. Okay. Because the Alamo is extremely important to people who come descended from those from that era and, and it's in our traditions. Now, here's my only point. Hold about on. That, okay? Hold on. You said we my, are, are you in, you're in Texas? Yeah, I'm in Texas. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Because you said, oh, we, I have like, a radio show in LA. Sometimes that confuses people. Yeah. But I, no, I'm I, on I the, I'm say, from all right. Texas. All right. Um, and the thing about it is this. The Russians lost 300,000 men keeping the Crimean Peninsula out of the hands of the German Nazis in World War II. 300,000. And, and they guess, get, by the way, they were also fighting against uh, tens of, well, ten, thousands. I'll say thousands of Western Ukrainians who welcomed the Nazis and joined. That's right. Their, and uh, Romanians too. Yeah. That's right. And so, yep. So now, Stepan Bandera, what, not a guy to revere. Just, just, just saying. Yeah, you no, know? I mean, and, and that is a huge part of the story. And, and, you know, in America, I like to say that, um, you know, Republicans and Democrats call each other commie and Nazi. They don't yep. really mean it because, I mean, frankly, both of both sides agree that we should have a Democratic Republican form of government in a very literal, very um, narrowed down glossary definition sense. Right. Um, in Ukraine, they don't have a, a tradition of democracy. They have a tradition of Nazis and communists. And, and you know, it's a very divided place. That Dnieper River divides. Why is this even one country at all? It's an extremely divided um, uh, place by uh, culture and ethnicity. Now, there is a Ukrainian nationalism. You have a lot of people who only speak Russian who very much are Ukrainians and don't want to be Russians. You know, these things are never so cut and dry. Um, there were Russians there before the Holodomor and Stalin relocating even more Russians into that place and all these things. So very ancient history. Just a, have you ever seen like an evolving map of the borders of Europe over the centuries? There's a great thing on the internet a few years ago like that, where it's just absolutely unbelievable. I read, I read a thing called, it was called, it's a, called a peace to end all peace. And it was the post world war one boundary drawing Oh, of uh, Europe and the Middle East, yeah. and it was just... But going like, back further from that, I mean, you could just draw and redraw and redraw and redraw those lines a thousand times over for all the different kingdoms that have come and gone and all of the different ethnic migrations that have moved from here to there, alliances between different city-states at different times and all these things. It's just absolutely incomprehensible, you know, but for the most specialists of specialists, and it's the same all over Europe and really all over the old world is like that. Most of the borders of the old world are drawn by Western European empires in the wrong places deliberately to divide populations from each other and to group enemy populations together to keep them, you know, on a permanent state of division so they're easier to rule and all of these things. So, you know, again, Stalin, as all libertarians know, Stalin perpetrated a horrible genocide against the people of Ukraine in the 1930s, the Holodomor 
we essentially starved about three million of them the to death in order to steal all their grain to feed all of the Russians that he was forcing from their farms into the factories. And you know, this is and then transferred Ukrainian populations out and Russian populations in. And then as we know during the war, as we're just alluding to there, the Nazis came and forced the commies out on their drive to Russia. But then the commies won and drove the Germans right back out again. As you just said, there were small and dedicated groups of German, uh, pardon me, of Ukrainian nationalists in the West who sided with the Nazi Germans in that war and helped to perpetrate the Holocaust against Jews and Poles in that war. Very, very hard. Yeah, it was the, it was the East uh, and West here. The, I'm sorry. The, or I think it was the two. The two that were stood out was the organization of Ukrainian nationalists who who partnered with the Nazis, and then the Ukrainian insurgency army. Ukrainian insurgency army, I believe, was an offshoot of the organization of Ukrainian nationalists who kind of actually ended up steering away from the Nazis because they wanted uh, an independent Ukraine and the Nazis in no way condoned an independent Ukraine, right. which at, I think that and Stepan Banderas led that one, by the way. And I think he ended up getting thrown in jail because of it. But he did help carry out the slaughter of, of Jews and Poles. And it's insane that it, it, like, remember when it, when they bombed uh, Bobby Yar, that yeah. that uh, that memorial, whatever it was. Um, it's hilarious that they were like the Russians. There, see, they don't even care about the Holocaust. It's like yes, but before that, they named streets and avenues after Stepan Banderas around that area. So they named after the guy who who was leading a charge to kill the Jews. Yeah. They named the streets around where they killed the Jews after him. So let you know who's mm-hmm. who who doesn't care about the Jews in that situation. You, I'll let you you know figure that out. But it's just this this thing. It's it's this thing with the narrative with, between Russia and Ukraine, where you either condemn what Putin is doing, or you you think that Ukraine has a history of Nazism and a, and a problem with Nazism. And it's like, but it's both. You don't understand. It's like, yeah, look, that's right. Look, I, I think um, when Putin says there's so many Nazis in Ukraine, I got to go denazify. Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck about that. I don't think that that's that. a good enough excuse for war at all. That's not right. But it does mean that we shouldn't be backing the Ukrainian side either. Right. And funding them um, heavily since 2015. Right. Just like in the Middle East, we shouldn't be backing kings and sultans and El Presidentes and dictators. We sure as hell also should not be backing bin Ladenite insurgencies against them either, as we did, uh, you know, the U.S. did under Barack Obama, especially, and even to this day in continuing in the war in Yemen. Um, But as Obama did in Libya and Syria before that. Um, That's just crazy. And in fact, we've known uh, since about 2015 due to multiple reports in The Intercept, that jihadis from Obama's dirty war in Syria have been going to Ukraine to fight. Remember, this war has been going on since 2014. After the Russians took the Crimean Peninsula, then the separatists in the east declared independence from the new coup d'etat government. And that government attacked in this horrible war. You know, the worst part of it was in 2014 and 2015, but it's kind of raged in what they call low-level fighting ever since then tens of thousands of people killed and literally bin Ladenite jihadis led by Chechens, but also others have been traveling to Ukraine to team up with the Hitler loving Nazis to fight against the Russians. And you can't mix this stuff up. And in fact, it's very interesting to me. And I'm not sure what's the reason for this other than just 
hey, it's good journalism. What are we going to do? We got to deal with this guy or whatever. Maybe there's not really a larger like narrative to explain it. But The Intercept, which is owned by Pierre Omidyar and who was involved in the, you know, his uh, organizations were involved in the coup in 2014, or at least in backing the groups oh, that did it. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and, and his, you know, The Intercept, including Glenn Greenwald, and, and I'm a Greenwald fan still, um, but they all were pretty damn silent about the wars in Syria and the wars in, and the, in, in Ukraine. And um, with the exception of Murtaza Hussein, who was shilling for Al-Qaeda the whole time um, with the rest of the damn Democrats. Um, and yet the exception was this wonderful series. I think, I'm sorry, it's three or four articles about the jihadis fighting with the Nazis in Ukraine. And so now they won't cover either story worth a damn, but here they cover the combination of where the two stories come together in an exceptional fashion here. And it's just, you know, it is. It's just like, essentially, as they compare it, it's like America's dirty war in Syria under Obama. But they knew they were backing bin Ladenites, suicide bomber, head chopper, murderers, and they decided the price was worth it. This makes sense. We hate the Shiites more. Let's do it. That was their thing. And in this case, too, they know they don't have moderate rebels on the ground here. They know that even as, you know, the current president, or pardon me, the previous president said Poroshenko, the Azov Battalion, Nazis, they are the bravest and strongest leaders of the Ukrainian military. They are the greatest heroes. They are the ones that get things done when we need them. Um, and that's all the reporting out of there, too. The Ukrainian military is called, please come help. And the Azov Battalion shows up as reinforcements for whoever it is, um, because they are the extremists and they don't mind dying. They're not professional soldiers. They're getting paid, you know, they're mercenaries getting paid, but they're ideological too. Uh, there's just a quote of one of these guys. Um, I'm sorry, I forget my footnote, but you could find it pretty easily, I guess. Um, it was from not long ago where he's talking about, you know, if we die, this is after the start of the war, we're, you know, Azov Battalion, we're going to the front and to fight the Russians. And if we die, good. We don't care. That's awesome. We died as heroes fighting against the Russians as, you know, great Nazi, you know, whatever. The hell. And if we live, then that's good too. But we don't mind dying. I mean, that was always my cliche about the, the Al-Qaeda guys in Syria. The moderates don't fight. The moderates are sitting at a hotel in Qatar. It's the extremists yeah. who don't mind dying. Moderates don't practice martyrdom. Fighting. They don't. You know? They don't. So and, and the thing that's is, that's right. They prefer to kill, but they'll die too. You know? They, yeah. Well, right. And the thing is, too, it's it's like when we can again. It's and I've said this over and over. You know, I, us. You know, confronting the fact that there is a Nazi presence or that there is a Nazi influence in Ukraine is not us. First of all, it's not the majority of Western Ukraine, I don't think. Um, right. I, I, but however, it is a hell of a lot more significant there than it ever is here. The, the, you know, we have a bunch of people yelling about Nazis here. It's like, well, the uh, Svoboda Party, which is the party of the Nazis, they, 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 they celebrate Stepan Banderas every year. They have like a, 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 an annual thing. Their leader, the star, the the leader of uh, the Svoboda Party, his name was Ole Tianabok, I believe his name was. Right. Um. You know, he was in Parliament for six, no, ten years, um. And he he petitioned the government to to have like a national holiday to celebrate the the fighters who 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 uh uh teamed yep. up with the Nazis in and World listen, War if you II just during Operation Barbarossa. 
That's right. Look, if you just put Oleg Tannenbach in your Google image results, yeah. all you'll see is his Hitler don't salute. Don't clip that. Nobody clip that. Jesus Christ. Why did I yeah, do that? Yeah, yeah. Don't do that. You'll, or do that it. That was your Maybe. Oleg Tannenbach impersonation, everybody. Yeah, Come on. That was mine. Um, yeah, I only and, do it when and it was he's Scott. got the lightning bolts behind him. Yep. And then and then the rest of the pictures are him palling around with Chris Murphy and John McCain and Victoria Newland. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> it's crazy that we have McCain and Newland standing next to an open Nazi. Like, openly, he's like... And look, it is relevant and fair to say that, look, Victoria Newland is the wife of Robert Kagan, who is one of the primary leaders of the vanguard Zionist movement in America. And the neoconservatives by definition, are Israel first or right-wing Israel was funding, wasn't Israel funding Jewish the fucking nationalists. The Azov Battalion too? It, was, it wasn't just that. I think it was Israel was funding them too, weren't they? That's right. Yeah. And and look, there's footage of when, you know, Zelensky ran on a peace platform and he went to the east to confront C-14. Now, I don't know what the C means, but the 14 is the 14 words of the slogan of the white supremacists. And he went there to tell them, listen, guys, disarm. We got this Minsk II deal. I'm trying to cut this deal. I'm trying to implement this deal. And I need you guys to back off and put down your guns while we continue the process of negotiations or whatever. And they tell him to go to hell. And he says, I'm not a loser. People just type this in, Zelensky. I'm not a loser. You're treating me like I'm some loser, but I'm not. I'm a 41-year-old man. I'm the president of this country. And you got to do what I got to say. And they tell him, go to hell. You just keep bringing us weapons. That's your job. I mean, and he, fills out, and he fills out that green shirt well, though, doesn't he? He looks like I he guess looks so. Big. I mean, he sits he's around doing push-ups all day long because it's I, all he I can guess. do. He is in no position to have his military disarm these Nazi forces. Instead, they just get their own division and their own access to the Ukrainian military's weapons. It's just as simple as that. They just have their own. Look, this is the only nation on the planet where the Nazis have their own division inside a state military. Now, there are Nazis in the American military, but they, they have their sleep own, in a bunk next to have, a black guy. You know what I mean? They don't have a choice. Yeah, they don't have their true. own division they of Nazis They have to cover it up inside. a little bit. They got to cover it up I'm, a little bit. Well, I mean, I, look, uh, to be perfectly real about it, I mean, Harry Truman desegregated the armed forces of the United States back 75 years ago. And they don't, you know, officially, they do not put up with that one bit. Now, they may have winked and looked away a little bit, sending a few Nazis off to fight in Iraq War II and things like that. But it is not American policy in any American branch right. to tolerate that kind of thing. Anybody with, like, you know, outright swastika tattoos or whatever like that is getting Well, and not only, it's, not only the, it's, it's not only the ties to the military. It's, again, they have their own political party that is not— yeah. I mean, it's not completely and their own army division. You well, know, and, I mean, their own literal army well, divisions. They're their police, their their own police force. Command. Yeah. Their police force too, I believe. And right. Just, just let me let me throw out the statistic. I think I know I've said it before, but like in the 2020 election, the Svoboda Party won over 800 spots on local uh, like council seats, and they had 19 mayors elected. Again, it's not a significant majority; it's a minority of uh, of of mayoral power. Yeah. in Ukraine. However, can you imagine in America if there were 19 openly um at least belonging to a party that celebrates Nazis? Right. Jesus, we'd be with this the media would have a fucking field. Well, think day. about it like this too, right? Like part of the reason the liberals are so obsessed with Putin is cuz he's like Pat Buchanan, right? He's like this um he's not Catholic, he's orthodox. 
um, Christian, but he's got like these conservative Republican corporatist sort of values Yeah, that they finished defeating that culture here. And they're, and, but they see Russia as an extension of that. It's this horrible kind of conservative Americanism. And yet look at who their opponents are. Their opponents are way to the right of conservative. They're just nationalists for a different nation. So it's right wing versus right wing here. And the Ukrainian side is far more right wing. I mean, you have people who are avowed white supremacists avowed enemies of Jews and the other untermenschen, as they call all the rest of us. I mean, the whole thing is completely- crazy. The Muscovites. Yeah, um, so again, this isn't a good enough excuse for Putin to invade, but it absolutely is a good enough reason for America to absolutely stay away from this thing and back out of this fight and refuse to take the side of a nation that is so deeply infested with Nazis. And that ain't the only reason, but it sure is a hell of an important one. And man, I mean, think of how absurd this is. America teamed up with Joe Stalin and the communist USSR against the German Nazis. And now we're willing to take the Nazi side against red, white, and blue conservative Christian Russia. Yeah. That can't be right. It just can't be right. Well, listen, technically, as of uh, technically, as of today, when did they uh, release the national defense strategy that you tweeted out? Because I read I read that article. Oh, the um, one today about China? Yeah, I was going to say, technically, we're not even, that's not even tr top priority. Russia is not mm -hmm. even top pri priority. It's China. It is China. And I think they're, they're first and third priority. It's like, it's, it's like China, Russia, China. And, um, you know, I, you tweeted that out. I read it. I think, you know, again, this is probably something that, you know, this whole entire time, here's what I will say about the China thing. This whole entire uh, you know, Russia invades Ukraine. I've all, all on on the side. You always hear the neocons. They go, "Well, now, now we also have to bulk up our defense with Taiwan because now China is going to feel emboldened to invade Taiwan after Afghanistan yeah. and now Russia." And it's so. What do you have to say to people who go, "Now we have to be worried about first of all China invading Taiwan, and second of all China somehow encroaching on." American military political space, I guess, would yeah. be the only way I could describe well, it. Well, I mean, one thing does not flow from the other. Um, and, you know, for people who are not familiar with this, it's been American policy for 50 years that there is one China and that Beijing is its capital and that Taiwan is part of China. However, we prefer to see them reunited without violence. That's our strategic ambiguity position on Taiwan. So people say Taiwan is a separate sovereign foreign nation. Yeah, sort of not really. It belonged to China before imperial powers um, from the West and then Japan took it from them. And then as a remnant of the civil war in 49, the nationalists fled to Taiwan and then the American Navy intervened and prevented Mao from chasing them over there to finish the job against them and led to this bifurcated system. But in other words, it's not the same. If China, worst case scenario, launched their massive amphibian assault against Taiwan tomorrow and won, that still is not the same at all as them conquering Vietnam or Laos or Cambodia or Nepal or 
Pakistan or out of Mongolia or Korea or Japan. Taiwan is part of China and always has been, except for, you know, a blip in time. But since the 1600s, you know, not the late 1700s, but even the 1600s has belonged to China. So, um, you know, ultimately, you know, zoom out a little bit, okay? The middle part of North America cannot be the dominant political and military power in all of the old world forever, okay? We just can't. So what you're seeing now is the flow after the ebb of America's imperial surge, if you want to call it that, after the fall of the Soviet Union. It's the Union. cleanup after you come on your chest when you masturbate, basically. That's one way to put it. So America went all the way to try to conquer all of the Middle East and, you know, essentially blew their whole wad. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, in like financial terms, sure. all in the sand over there. And then they extended their military empire all the way to Russia's borders by bringing the Baltic states in and threatening to bring Ukraine and NATO in. They've essentially tried to extend their alliance system informally and formally to include all of the powers of Asia and even tiny minor ones like our former enemies in Vietnam and the rest, all in order to try to hem in China. And that was our unipolar moment. And that moment is now over. And that, you know, that phrase was coined by Charles Krauthammer. And the idea was we'll make a, the world the way we want it, which would include essentially extending capitalism around the world, which would mean that Russia and China and India and Brazil, presumably, and other like potential mid-rank powers, they are going to grow more wealthy. And eventually, they will have a say in a much more multipolar world. But for now, at the end of the Cold War, the last one, 30 years ago, we have our chance to remake the world the way we want it to be. And this is why they always dress up the American empires. They call it the liberal rules-based world order, that we are selflessly trying to create this system of global governance and, and cooperation between the major powers and the medium powers in a way that would be conducive to peace over the long term and to America's interests over the long term. Well, that's putting it very gently, but that's basically the idea. So, but now the unipolar moment is over. Now our power is receding somewhat and their power is waxing. So big deal. That was even Charles Krauthammer said, yeah, that's how it's going to happen. Even Charles, uh, Robert Kagan, Victoria Newland's husband, wrote in the Washington Post a few weeks ago, well, so much for the, multi, uh, the unipolar moment. Now America's dominance in Eastern Europe is over. Russia will again be the dominant force in Eastern Europe and America's dominance in the far reaches of the Western Pacific are also now at an end. China is now, you know, stepping up their military presence out there and all that. And America's role is somewhat diminished. And then he says, the question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to allow this to happen or not? And of course, the answer is, yes, we're going to allow it because it's the, the way of the world. There's nothing we can do about it other than kill ourselves in a giant H-bomb war and kill the rest yeah. of humanity with us. And so, you know, the short circuit to the so-called Thudicides trap where the waning empire has to go to war against the rising one is 
then we just abandon our empire altogether because we weren't supposed to be an empire in the first place. We just adopt the Ron Paul foreign policy. We're, then we're not even losing face, right? right? We don't even have to say sorry. We don't even have to say that, oh, man, we lost our empire because of what right. losers we are. The ego, we gave the it ego up because empires away. are stupid, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, and then we're just doing the right thing by stopping doing the wrong thing. And then, yes, China is going to be the dominant power in Asia. Does that mean they're going to invade Japan? and Vietnam, and Laos, and Nepal, and, and Pakistan, and Mongolia, Korea? No, it doesn't mean that. It just means that we aren't going to be able to dominate them and dictate to them in the way that we were able to in the past. Now, are they going to throw their weight around in those countries I just mentioned to degrees that those people resent? Maybe. But again, tough. Assuming we could if muster another $20 trillion worth of debt, and, and kick that can down the road somehow and figure out how to use, Is you know, military Scott? and CIA power. they'll find a way to, to fucking do it. If we could figure out a way to limit Chinese power in all those nations I just mentioned in their neighborhood there for another little while, then it would still come to an end in another little while anyway. And yeah. what difference does it make? Again, this is, look... And this is a real, you know, one of the reasons we have such a problem with our empire is our ancestors moved here from the old world to leave the old world behind so they could be free and mind their own business and live the American dream. As trite and cliche as that sounds, that's what it's about is people wanting to mind their own business and have a good and happy life here and leave their neighbors and the rest of the world the hell alone. The problem is we're so prosperous that for a long time we were able to afford this world empire with all this freedom. And our government has gone and made the world our business. And not in a way where I'm saying that justifies further intervention, but in a way that justifies our determination to oppose this intervention, to try to bring it to an end so that we can be, as Jean Kirkpatrick said, a normal country in a normal time and eschew, as she put it again, the burdens of superpower status and instead you know, live our own lives trying to prep to perfect our own little humble republic here at home, cooperate with the world the best that we can, get along, as Jefferson said, peace, commerce, and honest friendship with all mankind, not isolationism, but right. not military domination. And well, and one of the so things too that's is the future, and we should, we should willfully and happily embrace it. We should be glad that the Germans and the Russians want to build a pipeline. And we should be happy that the Europeans, the Russians, the Chinese are all getting along. They're not a military threat to us. Um, unless, you know, we continue to practice that game. But yeah. we should be the exception to great power politics. We're the great power who wants nothing to do with great power, right? right. That's right. what the way it should be, assuming that any of us meant anything by liberty and justice for all. Right. Well, and one of the things, too, is, is, is you mentioned before, it's like this ebb and flow of geopolitical power. You know, one of the things that... that, that I think it, you know, would have been genius about not expanding NATO past East Germany is because there's an ebb and flow over time of geopolitical power of economies, of global economies, of, uh, you know, of, of national economies. And, you know, the, I feel like a lot of times um, uh, American foreign policy, I think I said this with my uh, with my episode with Adam Fitzgerald, we're very short sighted. Our foreign policy is very short sighted. We don't. We're very impulsive, and we seem to think that the conditions of of the here and now will be 
forever. And so, and but the problem is the decisions that you make, particularly with foreign policy, um, you know, they have lasting effects well over 20, 30 years. And the conditions that America is in 20, 30 years from now may not suit the foreign policy decision that you made um, uh, at the time. You know, who knows where we're going to be at 20, 30 years. We've got a very unpredictable economy at this fucking point. God knows what's going to happen. Other, But my prediction is down. My prediction is down. You know, throw a little something into Bitcoin, maybe a yeah. little gold, real estate, hedge. I'm just saying, folks, hedge. But... The, I feel like we have very a, a very nearsighted, impulsive foreign policy pattern yeah. of behavior. Well, and, and again, it's all based on this idea that in world, the reason World War II happened was because we didn't stay in Europe after World War One, and the Senate refused to ratify the League of Nations Treaty, and so the evil horrors of American isolationism is what led to the rise of the Nazis. But of course, it was American interventionism in World War One that tipped the balance in favor of the Allies, prolonged the war in the East long enough for Kerensky to be overthrown and replaced by Lenin and Trotsky, and then the humiliation of the Germans that led to the rise of the Nazis, and then, of course, World War II is matter and antimatter combined in Eastern Europe there. And again, as we discussed, America took the side of the Reds in order to smash the Nazis, is how bad they were at that time. And um, so... Um, you know, they always want to say that it was isolationism, it was Neville Chamberlain's, um, you know, negligence at, uh, you know, American isolationism and, and the British uh, prime minister's negligence at Munich and appeasing uh, Hitler. That, But you're never supposed to ask where he came from in the first place. You're never supposed to ask why the Germans would have ever tolerated a cult like the Nazi party taking over their country the way that they did. Um, and And the thing is, that actually I learned this in junior high correctly. It's just true. It's the consequences of the Versailles Treaty. But again, there's that fallacy of 39 where, you know, the lesson is we must always intervene everywhere or else things might get out of control. And they just can't accept the way that you and I might look at it that, geez, but you guys sure are violent. And look at the 2 million you killed in Korea and three to five dead in Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia. Um, a million dead Iraqis, another yeah. million dead Syrians, Yemenis, Libyans, and Afghans, Somalis, probably another half a million or more dead there uh, from America's war in Somalia over the last 20 years, um, and the famines induced by that war. And there's no accountability for that. Hell, people don't even have to know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they get to pretend like right. they're all virtue and light. As you can read in the Washington Post, they go, oh, Putin's invasion of Ukraine has redeemed us and given us back our moral authority. Yeah, right. It no has. way. Yeah, well, and there's, a, there's, there's a thing that we put on individuals, particularly in this country. It's called projection. Yeah. If you yeah. are somebody who is willing to cheat on your significant other, you will also be paranoid that your significant other will cheat on you. It's called projection. It seems that we have a little um, foreign policy projection. Do we not, Scott? Is that a good way of describing it? Am I a genius, Scott? Absolutely. I think you're right about that. Thank I mean, you. look, um, you know, I think to a degree, depending on who you're talking about, but most of these people realize what hardball they're playing and, and you know, the ruthlessness involved, um, the mailed fist under the velvet glove of, of all their propaganda, you know? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, you know, I mean, look at how much they spend on spinning everybody all the time. 
to try to make all of this stuff seem legit. And look at all the money they've made. You know, the Wall Street Journal ran a piece back last, uh, what, just January or something like that, just a couple of months ago. And they did this investigative study and went back and looked and found that the major American arms manufacturers made $3 trillion off the war in Afghanistan. And that's, you know, essentially light footprint counterinsurgency compared to Iraq War II. Yeah. And even if you include the Afghan surge Jesus at one Christ. point, they got up to 140,000 if you include NATO troops. That's a pretty big occupation there for a bit. But essentially, you know, compared to the rest of the terror war, that especially as it took place in Iraq War II and in Iraq War III, this was essentially a light footprint war. Out of, you know, if you compare it to the rest of the terror wars, it's probably like a sixth of it or something, right? Um, even after 20 years of it. $3 trillion they made off of that war. That's the answer to why those people had to die. And, you know, they're rationalized with all of their theories of global dominance and saving the world and spreading peace and security and providing schools for little girls to learn in. Madeline Albright just died, by the way. I just, I just, and that's good, at least. Yes, yeah. for for Christ. I mean, at least somebody who 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 is a fucked up. I mean, was it a sixty minutes interview? Where? Yeah. I mean, it's it's if you don't listen, you could probably just Google Madeline Albright sixty minutes interview, and the one that I'm talking about is gonna come up because it's yeah. You know, she she just basically she came out and said, yes, collateral damage to the hundreds of thousands degree is fine. It's it's worth what we're doing. We have a goal and the goal is worth allowing innocent men, women and children to die to the degree of Leslie Stahl interviewing her. And it's actually not really correct. It was a bad study that said that half a million children had been starved to death by 1996. It was really only about 300,000, so you can rest assured. Well, listen. But anyway, we're, the we're question statistically was, driven here on this show, so yeah, the, that the is question a relief. Was, but, but that's more children than died at Hiroshima. Yeah. Are you sure the price is worth it? And she said, the price is a difficult choice, but we think the price is worth it yeah. to contain Saddam Hussein, which is, of course, a total joke. His military was completely you know, destroyed in 1991. He had just enough left for internal repression. There was no threat to his neighbors whatsoever, and they knew it. He destroyed all of his weapons, and they knew that for a fact by a year before she even said that. You know, they had destroyed every last bit of their banned weapons by the end of 1991, and the inspectors, the Americans, and the UN were completely satisfied of that fact by the end of 2000, pardon me, of 1995. You know, a year, a solid year before she made that statement. Do you hear and that? She's just a monster. She lied us into the war in, in Serbia as well. No, did I hear what? No, it was just a fucking car alarm going. Off. Apparently, apparently, Russia's attacked us, folks, because somebody oh, man, can't turn that. their goddamn fucking car alarm off. Speaking of which, that might be my microwave going off, man. I gotta eat some dinner. I've been getting interviewed since around eleven thirty this morning. Really? And uh, I need food. I've always wondered. You're you're a thin man. You're a thin man, and you it's and it's true. it's a good thing because I before I'm gonna, I'll, I'm gonna because I have to piss too, and we got to wrap up fairly soon. But I read a study that the human body, the human knee, is actually not meant to support more than 170 pounds. And a lot of people said, well, like they'll say I'm 190 pounds, but I'm muscle. It's like yeah, but still, your joint is a joint and can only support so much weight. Yeah, there. You go. 
Yeah. I mean, listen. Well, my knees are not so bad anymore, although I put them through a lot of abuse. But you're right. At least I'm not fat, and I got that going for me. At least you're not fat. At least you're not a warmonger. At least you're not a neocon. At least you beat D Bill Crystal in the debate. At least you're, you know, somewhat reasonable about, about you know, the economy and about, um, you know, the geo. Let me, one last thing before we wrap up here. I want to get your opinion on this. Many people are saying they are forecasting because that's what everybody seems to think that they have the ability to do these days, that there is a shift happening. Uh, um, there's a, a political shift happening, right? The Saudis are turning to the Chinese and, 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 you know, we, we seem to have blundered no, any, so. any, <laughs> any Russian, uh, 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 mutual, you know, friendliness that we had before this and that they might turn to the Chinese and there's going to be this global repositioning as far as geopolitics goes, mm -hmm. you know, and that means economically, militarily, and, and, and society, you know, everything That's that comes fine. along with it. Hey, China, if you're listening, you can have the Israelis. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. They're not going. They're not going. To, I got that Iron Dome. They're not going down without a fight. They're not going down without a fight, those fucking... The, the Israelis, I tell you what, here's the thing that you... They got an Iron Dome as long as we pay for their Iron Dome. Let well, Beijing and, pay for and, their Iron and Dome. And Lord knows we will. Yeah. Until we get some, some fucking reasonable... Look, I don't know what's going to happen. I think you're right that there's a huge self-inflicted wound in this economic war with Russia, and I think things are not going back to the way they were. I think that the Americans prefer that. Fine. We got to push Russia and China into a block against us. We still got Europe with us. We prevent... Russia and Germany from getting along too well and keep America dominant in Europe. And um, we have, you know, increased incentives for our allies to feel like they need us in Asia. And we just have a, a new combined Cold War against the Russian Chinese alliance, just like the bad old days. And it'd be good for the shipbuilders and good for the nuke manufacturers and long range bomber manufacturers and bad for the rest of us and might lead to the rest of us all getting killed. And, you know, it used to be that Russia dominated all of Eastern Europe. They had a cushion all the way halfway to Berlin. And the Americans always said the Soviets were going to invade Western Europe. Well, the Soviets yeah. were invaded. They were going to get invaded by Western Europe and by America. And that's why they wanted that cushion. If you're going to get to Moscow, you're going to have to roll through Poland, through half of Germany, Poland, and the Baltic states before you get to Russia. Or you're going to have to roll through Czechoslovakia and Ukraine and um you know to get to moscow that way through belarus or something like that so they had all this cushion well now we've destroyed all that cushion and we're right up on their border picking this fight we moved that line from the elbe river halfway across germany another 1200 miles east to russia's very border and given ourselves as well as them no cushion no room for error in this kind of thing and so right now it's clear that the Russians and the Americans have no intent to go to war over Ukraine, but they still might anyway because yeah. of, you know, how close they are, how, how brave, quote unquote, the Democrats are being with other people's lives in this dirty war and sending more and more weapons in and trying to encourage um, insurgency and discourage true peace talks and that kind of thing. They're playing with very hot fire, hotter than the sun, and it's far too high of a risk to take. But you can see how all the incentives line up for them to do it. And so then it is on us. 
to just let everyone else know that you can climb off this bandwagon. You don't have to believe in this crap. These are the same people who lied us into war with Iraq 20 years ago, same people who lied us into war with Libya 11 years ago and Syria 10 years ago, and the same people who um, you know, don't even admit a damn thing about Yemen to even bother lying about when they're, why they're doing that. And they are, by far, they are, as Martin Luther King said, the greatest purveyors of violence on, in the world today. And so that's it. That's our government, not Vladimir Putin. That's our government that's killed 2 million people in the last 20 years. His government's killed maybe 10,000. Yeah. And just well, so everybody... you want to throw in Syria, they killed probably, you know, 100,000. And speaking of Martin Luther King, one of the, yeah. I mean, the main reason, and I'm not discounting his, his, uh, you know, the work he did in the civil rights movement and how much J. Edgar Hoover hated that. But one of the really main reasons, probably maybe even bigger than the civil rights movement was how he was anti-war and he spoke out against the intelligence community. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. And that was JFK, that was RFK, that was MLK, that was Malcolm X, that was Fred Hampton, that was all the anti-war left in the fucking 60s. That's the reason why they were taken out. Yes, they were involved with the civil rights movement. A lot of people now will look back through the lens of, oh, they just, they, the intelligence community hated the civil rights movement. That's not the only reason. That's not the only reason. I just want yeah. you to know that. Well, I don't really buy in on the sainthood of the Kennedys, but I I definitely it's agree not with a you saint, that that's why it's, Martin It's not Luther a sainthood, but it's it's yeah. it was it was at least I mean, to me Bobby Kennedy was just Barack Obama, not Dennis Kucinich, but that's just me. But but uh, on, uh, as far as MLK, I think there's no question that that was when the liberal establishment absolutely Can I disagree with you in the sense that he knew his days were numbered. Let me disagree with you in the sense that I believe that RFK and JFK were at least less pro CIA and FBI than Obama was at the very least. Give me that Scott, 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 give me it. Come on now. Come on now. Look, I think there were people in the American establishment who were very jealous of the Kennedy's power and didn't think that they should have it. And I'm, you know, without making a case or trying to make a case, I do sort of presume that he was killed forces within the military and CIA or their partners yeah um, I don't know who really who who killed him but it I don't think it was just some powerless loser who did it you right I think there was more to it than that well we can agree on that think, for sure I don't think that that means you know it's sort of like the war in Libya you got some rebels fighting against Gaddafi and he's a dictator but does that mean that they're fighting for freedom right. no it just means they're fighting for their own power instead of his Right. Yeah. So just because somebody shoots Jack Kennedy doesn't make doesn't mean that the reason that they did it was because of anything good about him as much as just something about him that stood in their way of getting what they wanted, which may have been just as bad or the same or worse or better, you know, than right. what it was that he had in mind. So I look at that probably more as like a fight between the right wing of the establishment and the more Eastern liberal establishment. But it's really hard to recommend the guys back east to the Texans, you know what I mean, at that point, um, with the, the level of violence they were all so committed to. And it, after all, it was the Brooks Brothers Wasps who did that war under Lyndon Johnson, right? It wasn't the Texans who waged that war. It was the CFR boys who were responsible for that thing. So maybe this is where they found their alliance, the Yankees and the Cowboys, says, let's kill the Vietnamese. But... Um, you think now you know, it's hard th- for me to try to prefer one to the other, you know. Do you think and this is actually very interesting and I know you and I know you we're going to wrap up real quick. I want you to answer this question real quick and then I'm going to have one more hypothetical before we wrap up. Okay. Do you think 
if JFK uh, never would have been assassinated, that we would have handled the, you know, we would have joined, we would have uh, erratically and and emphatically uh, thrown ourselves into the Vietnam War in the same way that we did under LBJ. Hmm. Eventually, probably, yeah. I mean, in the exact same way, nah, but close enough. Yeah. I mean, you know, Gareth Porter is convinced, and he's not spinning for LBJ here. He's just saying. He's convinced that McNamara lied to LBJ about the Gulf of Tonkin. Probably. That, that because we know that McNamara knew it wasn't true, but all evidences are that LBJ believed McNamara's first briefing and that McNamara never gave him the second one, never updated him and told him what happened. Hmm. And so... Um, you know, he had his own vested interests there. It could be that LBJ, you know, himself, he could have been in on that, but you know, Gareth Porter is convinced that Mac lied to him about it. So whether they would have pulled the same stunt with Kennedy and whether he would have believed it or not, all these things are variables in the wind, you know, what can you say? But to me, Jack Kennedy is Hillary Clinton. He's not Dennis Kucinich, hmm. you know, and that's just the way I'll always look at him until I have real reason to believe otherwise hypothetical before we go we were mentioning the 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 global realignment that many people were talking about let's play a little game have a little fun china russia north korea iran against israel america uh you know nato australia world war three all out who you got what's your bet what's the over under what are you what are you throwing down and what are you who are you betting on well, I mean, first of all, Israel's not on America's side. That's but okay. secondly, um, if there's a general war between America and Russia, we all die. It doesn't matter. Everybody dies. Every disregarding nukes. Disregarding nukes. It's a fun game. It's a fun game, Scott. Disregarding nukes. We're gonna play. We're gonna play. Oh, we're disregarding play nukes. Disregarding full scale conventional war. Well, yeah, yeah. where is the war? Is it in the the far um, western Pacific and far eastern Europe, or they're trying to come here and take America from us? I would okay. So in 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 this case, I will say, NATO and America were the aggressors. Who's winning? Yeah, and we're trying to just roll in and crush Russia inside Russia. They win, we lose, and freeze in the winter time. And do you think? And do you think it's vice versa in the opposite format? If they well, like if to, Russia tried to conquer Western well, that's Europe, true. Or I something guess it's, like that. Of course, yeah, yeah. they couldn't. They couldn't get past Warsaw. No way. They could probably crush the Baltic states. Um, and I guess they could, you know, they, they could, uh, they could fight in, in Poland. Um, whether, I don't think it's a fait accompli that they would just crush Poland and roll right on to Germany. And then whether they would get past Germany and into France is just, you know, to me, inconceivable. We're just talking again about armor divisions on the ground here and, and there are no A-bombs or H-bombs right. in play whatsoever. Yep. Then look, I mean, the West has, a a far more advanced industrial capacity to crank out tanks and planes. So if we're fighting a World War II, you know, era type equipment, sort of a war, then America and its allies win again. You know, look, we got home base America, Turtle Island, man. Nor- yeah. you, you can't mess with us here. That's Nobody's true. crossing the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean to come here. Yeah. Well, that's a tall task. Hey, there's that's- a great quote. It's in my book. It's from Abraham Lincoln. And I was making a different point, but uh, it's sort of in there all kind of mixed up. And and I know that it's sort of ironic that this is coming from Lincoln. But anyway, 
He says, all the powers of Europe and Asia combined could not take a drink from the St. Lawrence or make a track on the Blue Ridge in a trial of a thousand years. No, if America is to die, it will be by suicide. And that is just the truth of it. Nobody yeah. can take our America from us. The question is whether we can rule Eurasia from here. And the answer is no, stupid. We should have never tried it. That's it. Give it up now. Well, listen, you and I are good boys. We're observers of the Monroe Doctrine. That's all we want. We just want a little, we just want to have a little peace. We want to eat cheesecake at home and we don't want to be bothered. Hey, look, fair? James Monroe in that speech that was 199 years ago in 1823, he gave that speech and he said, listen, you stay out of the Americas and America will stay out of Europe and we will respect whoever is the government de facto in any nation as the legitimate government and whatever borders as the legitimate borders and we will make none of Europe, Europe's concerns our concern. And so you guys leave us alone and we will leave you alone is the promise in the Monroe Doctrine. Um, they always leave that part out, but I think it's important. Well, listen, we also said we were going to expand NATO past East Germany, but we're a little bit past that. And uh, we're worse off for it. But Scott, thank you for joining me. Thank you for carving out some time for me. Tell everybody where they can find you, where they can follow your great work, sure. okay? Yeah. Um, so thank you. Oh, you sat for up for me. the plugs, didn't you? Yeah. I, um, I wanted people to hear me well. Yeah. So I moved my mic with me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Probably not. Um, not the audio only version. My show. Yeah, there you go. Well, I guess not. Uh, my show is scotthorton.org. My institute is libertarianinstitute.org. And I'm the editorial director of antiwar.com, which is the most important project on the internet. And read my books. Fool's Errand, Time to the War in Afghanistan, although thankfully I'm very happy to say that's now obsolete. And the follow-up is enough already. Time to End the War on Terrorism from one year ago. And uh, both of them are also available in audiobook if you're interested in that. And if you want to see me explain the wars um, in Yemen or Somalia or anywhere else, just put my name and a country into YouTube and you'll see me getting interviewed by somebody explaining all this to one or giving a speech or something one way or the other, getting to the bottom of all this for you. Do you narrate your own audiobooks? Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Well, listen, what was, let me, what's your Twitter handle? Tell everybody where they can find you on social Scott media. At Scott Horton Show. At Scott Horton Show. Um, listen, folks, you know, if you're, if you listen to me, you probably at least have somewhat of an anti-war uh, ideology and, you know, I believe that your foreign policy, Scott, is probably the only way forward from here. Um, you know, I don't foresee any foreign policy other than what you've presented and put forth, whether you, you hear it from your debate in Bill Crystal or you read it in your books. Um, you know, I don't see any positive way forward other than following what you've laid out. Um, but thank you again. Thank you for for joining me and uh we're gonna do it again okay all right appreciate it thank you again for having me yes thank you